been a few weeks since I got to preach, so I'm excited to be back. Very, very excited. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to actually do a little bit of a recap to kind of get us back on track of what we've been doing. We've been doing through a, a walk through the book of Joshua. This study has been called a, a Life Live for God. And we started that study literally where Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River. They walked by faith on dry ground. God held back the Jordan River and allowed them to pass into what was their promised land. This is what God had, had provided for them. And it was, we looked at the fact that you and I have a promised land that God's trying to get us to. Okay? This is, the promised land is not referencing heaven. It's talking about a, a balanced, spiritual, surrendered walk with God. That's his intention for us. And what we find is the fact that they had to trust God and walk by faith in order to reach that promised land. And you and I have to do the same thing. We have to walk by faith and trust the Lord. That spiritual promised land God has for us is a place of fellowship and unity with God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's pictured in the crossing of the Jordan. Then we went from that after crossing the Jordan. Then we ended up at the Battle of Jericho. And at Jericho, what happened? We saw this miraculous victory take place based upon the fact that they were willing to trust God, his unconventional instructions. Remember that? Circle seven times, horns, all that business, right? So they did this unconventional wisdom of God. They did and followed his word. And unbelievably, they had this incredible, miraculous victory. And what we saw was the fact that this insurmountable foe that they faced is very pictured in the insurmountable foe that we face in the world and its influence. And so the world wants to constantly have a power over us. And what we saw was they trusted God and took this unconventional approach of trusting the Word of God and doing exactly what He said and found victory. And guess what? The very same thing is true for us. If we will follow God's Word and live according to the precepts that He gives us, guess what? We can follow an unconventional path to victory because I can promise you that the world does not offer victory. There are no tactics in this world that will get victory over this world. They'll simply integrate you into this world. God's Word is what brings us out. It's the key to victory. Then what we saw was the fact that they, after that victory, then they, they had a little bit of an issue. There was the issue of hidden sin because Achan had taken, one of the men named Achan had taken some stolen from God from Jericho. And because of that hidden sin, they went against Ai and it was disastrous. They were, they were decimated. They had a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. But what we learned through that was God was showing us through that experience the impact of hidden sin and how it had to be dealt with. And God instructed them step by step. We had 11 messages talking through that. And what we saw was the pathway of what hidden sin's impact is and how do we deal with it and make it right with God. And by doing that, we saw that you and I can be set free from the sins in our lives. First, we have to recognize them, confront them, forsake them, and ultimately surrender them to God. Then we ended up with the seven messages where we got to AI again. And when we went there, this was the, the, we, 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 the, the, the series was called Setting the Stage for Victory, verses 8, 1 through 29. And in those seven messages, what we saw was this pathway of success. God gave them a battle plan to succeed over AI. And they conquered the city and the inhabitants of the city. And what we saw was that was a picture for you and I, the, the, the city of AI representing our flesh, the inhabitants of AI representing the works of the flesh. Ultimately, in the very last message that I preached with you guys last time, which was the old man must die from verse number 29, what we saw was it all culminated with the king. The king had to ultimately be dealt with in order to have complete victory over AI. And we noticed the similarity and the, and the, the, the connection between their king and the king of our flesh, which is the old man, the person that we were prior to, prior to the Lord. Those 
desires that we have. And Romans 6, 6 taught us this. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And listen, we also learn from that message, not only is that the old man must die, but the fact that when God does bring victories, that we need to make sure that we don't forget those victories. Because we're extremely good at asking God to bring victory. We are diligent in requesting. We do not give. We don't miss a day, man. We're all about God, bring victory, bring victory, bring victory. But then when the victory comes, we don't have the same tenacity when it comes to thanking God. The same level of appreciation where we didn't stop before. Within a very short period of time, many times, we've kind of moved on to the next request. God, what are you going to do next? What other victories are you going to bring? And it's this tendency towards ingratitude that all of us have. I'm not pointing fingers at you guys. I'm pointing fingers at myself. So we all do the same thing. We'll wait and wait and wait and wait, and God brings it. And what happens, because we forget the blessings of God, we have a tendency to have this uh, ingratitude, I guess I would say, where we just don't appreciate him. And the fact is, this is what causes people to be discontented in their Christian lives. Because they forget the fact that, yes, God created you for a purpose and a plan. But guess what? When he went to the cross, he had you in mind. He loved you enough to die for you in spite of all the wicked things that we've done. And so we look at that. And because we forget that, we're not victorious. But what is Eric preached last week, talking about being a defeated Christian. And how in the world can we be a defeated Christian when we already have the victory? You know, as he said, listen, we already know the story. We know how it ends, man. We win. No doubt about it. It's a, a done deal. But understand that when they're going into their promised land and they're facing all the adversities, because we've only dealt with two foes so far, there's a lot more foes to come. But guess what? They've already been told they're going to win. They went to the end of the game. They fast forwarded and they go, oh, look at the score. We won. Listen, this is in Deuteronomy 31. This is in the wilderness. This is what they're, what's shared with them. 31 verses 1 through 3, And Moses went and spake these words unto Israel. And he said unto them, I am 120 years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord hath said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. Verse 3, The Lord thy God, he will go over before thee, and he will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee, as the Lord hath said. Verse number 6, listen to this. Be strong and have a good courage. Fear not. Nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. That's a pretty good assurance. And yet what will happen is they are going to deal with their fears. Their, their fears, they're going to go up and down. But it's with this assurance that we work to close out chapter number 8. The Israelites are gathered together as Joshua's going to proclaim God's word to them, reminding them whose they are. Listen, you're the people of God. And also, listen, he's pointing to the fact that they need to reverence him for what it is that he's done. We've seen a victory. Now what do we need to do? We need to regroup in our message this morning, which is entitled, Dedicated to God, Part 1. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for um, giving us this word. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible power uh, of the scripture. And uh, Lord, I, you know that I have labored over this, and I have prayed. And Lord, I have a pile of notes that are not in this message and uh, you, know my, you know my heart is to do what I'm supposed to do for you. And Lord, I have done my best to, to gather it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me today not to get in the way. Um, my desire is to disappear, Lord, that you might speak to our hearts. And uh, Lord, if no one else needs this message, then maybe it's just for me. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. Uh.
Joshua 8, verses 30 through 35. Uh, it says, Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, over which no man shall have lift up any iron. And they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well as the strangers as, yet, as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gerizim and half of them against Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, that which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. So it's important to realize that before they ever got into Canaan, into the promised land, though God had assured them of victory, guess what he had also done? He had listed his expectations of how it is they were to handle themselves. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, it is a laundry list of the things of God's expectations. And what we see is just before his death, Moses painstakingly goes through all of what will happen in regards to their faithfulness. If they're faithful to God, these are the blessings. But if they are unfaithful to God, these are the cursings. These are the results you're going to face. And what we see in the message and what are in our verses this morning is that Joshua is leading them to be committed, first of all, committed to honoring God. Secondly, he's committed to following the words of God. He's drawing them to be committed to, to standing with God. And he's also drawing them to be committed to receiving the word of God. Now, today we're only going to hit first two points. I'm not going to be able to get through all of it, not by a million miles, because y'all know me. I just cannot. There's no way in the world I would have gotten through all that. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at it from more of a devotional standpoint. So we're not going to do as much deep dive doctrinal stuff today. This is more of kind of the why, right? And this is, where, this is why this message was a struggle for me. I worked through all the particulars and all the details. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't get it to land. And I just kept praying, God, show me. And uh, so this is the best I could do. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Like I said, we're not going to get into the how so much as more. And today is about the whys. Uh, and so we see Joshua and the Israelites. After the victory of Ai, they're taking a pause. Okay, As if to say, listen, before we go any further, let's make certain that we are truly following God, that he is the one that's establishing our path and directing our actions. Thus, they are dedicating themselves unto him and the land that God's given them. He's giving it unto him. And so the first thing that they do is they turn to God's word. Back in Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 and 2, Moses relayed this to them. And it says, And Moses, the elder of the, uh, uh, Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I commanded you this day. Don't forget and it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones and plaster them with plaster. Now we know when we crossed the Jordan that we saw Joshua stop and he made 12 stones that he stacked up in Gilgal. And then they put 12 stones in the Jordan River in the bed of the river. But that's not what this is referencing. That's not what he's talking about here. These instructions in Deuteronomy are pointing to what's happening now here on Ebal. So now after everything's kind of died down and the AI has been defeated, now what happens is Joshua's trying to say, look, let's celebrate the one who gave us the victory. Let's celebrate the one that gave us the victory. So Joshua focuses the Israelites on being committed to honoring God. Verse 30, then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord and Israel 
uh, of Israel, the God of Israel in Mount Ebal. So in stopping everything and shifting the people's attention, what's happening now in building this altar, they're getting out of victory mode, right? They just came out of, out of AI. What happened? They got all the spoils, right? So they've received all this stuff. They got all these things. And you know, when you get a lot of stuff, what can it do? can feed your flesh. It can kind of get you caught up in things of the world. So what happens is God says, oh, okay, what are we going to do now? We're going to reset ourselves. We're going to go from victory mode over to worship mode. We're going to focus on Him because He knows that before they take another step forward in this place, that they need to be wholly committed unto the, unto the Lord. They should be consecrated unto doing His will and not following their own. Okay. So the desire here is to be dedicated to God. And so in building this altar in the promised land, they do exactly what God said. They build it where he told them to build it. We'll see that he followed, they follow the instructions specifically. Verse 27, Deuteronomy 27.4. Therefore it shall be when, ye be, when ye be gone over Jordan, that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, in Mount Ebal, and thou, uh, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And so now they are obediently following the instructions of God. Right? They've established the altar at Mount Ebal. And you know, as they, before they take one more step forward, they're going to trust in God. They're establishing themselves in Him. And what this is showing us is, listen, before we take another step forward in our Christian lives, listen, there is an altar that we come to Christ at the cross. We read, we just sang about it. We come to the cross, man. We surrender ourselves at the cross. But then once you're a Christian, guess what? There is another altar that we're going to deal with. And that's what we're seeing today. One that is showing us, so listen, before we move forward, we've got to be wholly committed to God. Because guess what? We're going to be moving forward. There are things and challenges that are ahead, and we need to be dedicated to God before we get to them. Just like Joshua, man, we have enemies on the horizon. There are instruments of Satan in this world. You've probably all met them. Yeah. Aren't they a joy? But what happens when we face these individuals? Listen, these, uh, simply because we're a child of God, they're our enemies. It's not because they hate us, it's because they hate God. Understand, it's because of who it is that we, who it is that we represent. Ephesians 6.12 talks to us about that spiritual enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And because of that, guess what? We need to follow our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, and dedicate ourselves to Almighty God before we take another step. Do you remember what Jesus said just before he died? Listen to this in Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. In those words, we hear a complete surrender, a complete submission. God, I just, I just give you me. I give you all of me. What if, those, what if those words came from us and they were earnest and they were real and they were true? What could God do through our lives if we really gave them to him? I think the results would be unfathomable. We can't even imagine what it would be like. It would be incredible. It would be miraculous. And see, Joshua knows what they're going up against. He knows they're going to face opposition. And they can't afford to face these upcoming enemies and not have God. They tried that before when they went to AI. They did it on their own. And guess what? It was disastrous. 
So they know what happens when they do it on their own. So Joshua says, listen, we cannot succeed without God. So let's stop everything and make sure that we're all on the same page because guess what? We're getting ready to go forward. So we need to make sure that we're established here. We're going to turn to God's Word. We're going to set the people's focus on going back to honoring Him. This altar at Mount Ebal, what does it do? It declares the Israelites' reverence for God while at the same time it displays their obedience to His Word. They're doing exactly what God asked of them. Joshua knows that the only way they can do it accurately, the only way they can do it right, is to make sure that they follow God's word. He told them exactly what to do, how to do it, and where to do it. Deuteronomy 27, verses 5 through 9. And there, there, and there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stone. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Thou shalt build the altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones. Thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings and shalt eat there and rejoice before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. There's a really, really awesome reason for that. We're not going to get into it today. And Moses and the priests and the Levites spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel. Listen to this last line. This thou dead, this day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. This day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. What he's saying is, you know what? Now that I've told you what to do, you are accountable. I've told you what you're to do, and you are accountable. And can I tell you that God's told us what we're supposed to do in this life? He's told us why we're here, who it is we are, how we're to live. What does he say in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24? And whatsoever you do in this whole life, everything you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We live this life for His glory, not our own. And that's what it is we're accountable to. God says, listen, you know what to do. You are my people. I've told you. I've laid out in my word my expectations of you, how you should live this life and who it is you should be. And you see, in order to dedicate themselves to the Lord, in order to dedicate their land, they establish this altar. And it's not just any altar. It's not just some random thing that they build on their own. No, it was very built very specifically. God told them exactly what materials to use, how it should look, where it should be, and its purpose. Which brings us to the next point, which is this. They were committed to following the words of God. Verse 31 says this. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, even which no man hath lifted up any iron, and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. Here we can see that Joshua has led the people to do exactly what God required of them. Not simply creating an altar, but one that was established in accordance to God's word and words. Now, some altars were made of wood. Other altars were made of stone. We saw in the tabernacle, some were made of precious metals. Now, all altars have a purpose, which is worship. But another thing they all have a part of is sacrifice. And we see that taking place right here. They were to make offerings unto God. And so here in Mount, in Mount Ebal, in Canaan, the Israelites, guided by Joshua, are to make sacrifices unto God. They have established a place to dedicate themselves and this land. And this is absolutely essential. Listen, before they move forward, this is so important because guess what? Those enemies are waiting. And can I tell you that there are enemies that you're going to face and they are waiting. They're waiting on us. 
And we're going to face opposition in this life because we're going to try to stand for God. And anything you try to do for him, I can promise you there is an opposing force prepared to battle that. It's always true in Scripture. And guess what? You can look in your own life and go, look, every time I've really tried to get on fire for God, something happened. Strange coincidence. I don't know how that's possible. But it's what it is. And so all the things that we're recognizing for them, listen, it's true for us. For our spiritual promised land, in order for us to move forward, listen, we've got to make certain, certain that we are walking in fellowship with God. That He's blessing our path, that He's guiding our, our steps. So you see, God gave them requirements. This is what I expect of you. Joshua's instructing to establish this place to honor God. And guess what? He wants us to do the same thing. Again, there's, a, there's an altar at the cross for sure. But there's another altar of surrender and sacrifice that we're going to talk about today. A place where we sacrifice, with a place of sacrifice, holiness, and reverence for God. See, for you and I, listen, this, we're to make sacrifices in regards to dedicating ourselves unto Him. It's a form of surrendering our desires. It's a form of surrendering our will, what my desires or my plans are. Paul describes it for us when we go to, uh, to uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And what's interesting is he calls it a living sacrifice. That's what he describes it as. And we're going to break it down a little bit as we're going to t- consider that altar. And what's that altar there for? It's for about that sacrifice. And when we may relate it to us, this is what we hear. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So God's expectation of us being a living sacrifice, one that's surrendered unto him, he tells us that it's not an unusual or unreasonable expectation. He tells us that it's actually our reasonable service. Meaning that if we really considered all that God has done for us, it's the least he could ask of us. It's the most minimal of things. But we go, okay, well, living sacrifice sounds cool. Uh, how do you do that exactly? Okay, how do, we, how do we do that? What's awesome is Paul goes on and continues, thank God, the Bible is always complete. Verse 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so he says right off the bat, be not conformed to this world. So don't look like the world. Don't sound like the world. Don't be like the world. But how many Christians in our modern day are masterful at blending into our culture? So much so that you could have a friend for 20 years and then one random conversation one day, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. And you're like, rip, uh, okay, okay, cool, uh, all right, great, man, awesome, well, praise the Lord. There are people that we know right now that are saved and we would have no clue. We might be saved and our friends may have. No clue. I hope that's not the case. But people have become really, really, really good at blending in, just looking like the world. They drink the same things the world does. They watch the same things the world does. They speak the same way. They wear the same things. They do all the same things. In fact, they celebrate the things that the world celebrates. Amazing. And people will claim to be Christians, and yet they will be that in lockstep with the world. Because you know why? They want to be culturally relevant. I don't want to be, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be, I don't want people to to, to make fun of me. But what does it say in scripture? It says, in order to be a living sacrifice, be not conformed to this world. He's telling us that we should stick out. 
He's telling us that we should not fit in, in fact, which is interesting. Titus 2, verse 14 says this, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, right? Zealous of good works. So not only do they not look like the world, but the things that they want to do, the things they're excited about, they're not the worldly things. They're the good works of God. So in order to become this peculiar person, this living sacrifice, we're supposed to, then it says, what it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're supposed to have a renewed mind. Okay. So what that tells us is the way our mind was and what we already know is not good. That's what got us in the mess that God had to save us out of, right? Many times we like to fall back on the things of our experiences, of our past, and our wisdom that we think that we have. But what we need to understand is the fact that God saved us out of that mess because, listen, we did not know what to do. We did not have the right mindset. So we need a new knowledge. We need godly knowledge, okay? Well, what's really wonderful, and because of God's just awesome, is he just happened to put together some of his thoughts on the way we should live this life. He gathered them together, and he's preserved them throughout time. And he said, hey, guess what? You want to know what I think on any subject in the world you could possibly run across? I wrote it down for you. You know what I think about that? I wrote it down for you. You got a question about that? I wrote it down for you. Yeah, I got it. It's, all, it's in your book. It's in your book. I, I left your instruction manual. It's all written down for you. And what we see is in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, Paul lays out for us and says, listen, if you really want to know and understand what God expects and what his expectations are, it's all laid out for you. And literally, not only does, his, does he show it who, what it is, but he talks about the structure of how God reveals it to us. As you go through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, one of the things that's so cool is he says, look, he says the natural man cannot, cannot understand the word of God because it is spiritually discerned. He can't because God says, look, but I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the spirit of God inside of you. And he'll translate <laughs> And he'll show you what this means. And he'll make it real. Because the problem is when someone's, someone who does not have Christ reads this book, it's just a bunch of fables. It's just a bunch of stories, and it doesn't make sense. But when the Spirit of God works together with it, man, it comes to life. Right. Yeah. I cry over this book all the time. And he ends with this verse. Verse 16, he says, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Man, if you want to have a renewed mind, you want to think like Christ, man, go to where the resource is. Let the Word of God work in your life. The Word of God will transform anyone who will surrender to its precepts and anyone that will follow its wisdom. No matter who we are, no matter what our education, no matter what our understanding or background is, we don't have to be a Bible scholar to let the Bible speak to us. People get intimidated by the Word of God and they don't go to it. They miss so much. You're a spiritual being, and as a spiritual being, you need food. And yet most people are starving to death spiritually. Yet they're bloated with the world. And God's saying, hey, this is the answer. I need you to turn to me. In order to be a living sacrifice, we have to do these things. In order to be holy and acceptable unto God. See, when it comes to you and I, listen, those are the only sacrifices that God's going to receive. You can try to give up all you want to give. But if it's not done the way God says... It's not truly a sacrifice. He's asking us to sacrifice our desires, our wants, the things that we want out of life. The only sacrifice you can receive are those like that. We must be willing to follow God's instructions. Joshua's planning for success because he knows that if he doesn't, they won't succeed. He knows that he must follow the instructions that God's given him because understand their success is dependent upon their level of obedience. 
The same thing is true for you and I. God established the standards. We live within those standards. Maddie and I were talking recently about the, the barriers in life. And so many times when people are saved, they're like, ah, you know what I'm like, we can't do this, and we can't do that, and we can't do this, and we can't do that. We just think of all the things we can't, 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 can't. All the things God's keeping me out of. Because <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's the way people are. But if you think about little children, like a little child, let's say that you live on a busy street. And you, that your child loves to ride their scooter, but you've got a gravel driveway. And the only really paved part is just a little chunk of sidewalk. You know, that's it. That's, but there's this awesome paved road in front of your house. I mean, miles and miles and miles of beautifully, freshly paved road. What a place to ride a scooter. Oh, my goodness. And they're like, look at that. And mom goes, ah, no, 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 babe, babe, hey, hey. There's cars out there. But mom, have you seen the road, how smooth it is? I could ride for days out there. Sweetheart, you are not allowed to go on that road or even near that road. You know, don't want me to be able to ride my scooter. Is that the reason? No. Because mom knows something the child doesn't. And guess what? God knows what's coming. And he puts parameters on our life to keep us from being in a mess. And what do we want to do? We want to get as close to the road as possible. We're like, not on the road, Mom. I'm not, not, I'm not on it. I'm really not. I'm right there. Right? That's the attitude we have with sin. That's the attitude we have with all these things. God's saying, listen, just get as far away as you can. The best thing we can do is surrender ourselves to holiness and say, look, I have no desire to be near that. That stuff is putrid and disgusting, and I see it the way God does. And what I used to find appealing, guess what? It makes me sick today. What I used to laugh at, it makes me want to barf. God changes our heart. But you know what? We can go back to that crap if we'll allow ourselves to. You can feed on garbage if you choose to. And guess what? God's saying, I want to feed you the very best. I've given you exactly what you, what you need. He's calling us to be consecrated unto him, to be dedicated unto him. Because as we, before we move forward in our Christian lives, man, before life throws all that it's going to throw our way, we need to dedicate, dedicate ourselves and our walk to God. And the first step being to establish unto God a place where we can humbly, humbly offer our hopes and our dreams, our aspirations, and our desires, ourselves, our whole selves, to Him. This isn't a physical altar. This isn't some place where you're going to go bow down to a statue or a religious symbol. No, we'll never do that. That would be defiant of God's word. But it's a spiritual location. A place where we find ourselves willing to come to, come to the Lord in prayer, in supplication, in contrition, humbled before God. It's not the cross. But I would challenge you to consider it the throne room. I don't know what it looks like. I have no clue. But I know it's going to blow our socks off. I don't know if we have socks in heaven. But if, if we do, they're going to get blown right against the wall. No doubt about it. But it's going to be amazing. So imagine, if you can in your mind, picture 
God sitting on a throne. And you're in that room by yourself. And you can feel the air trembling with the power of God's love. You feel it all around you. And you fall on your face. And you offer him your mind, your body, your spirit, a living sacrifice. Though I'm physically alive, God, spiritually, I want to give myself to you completely. I sacrifice my body and all that it desires for your glory. Meaning that every step we take, every move we make, and I'm not going there, uh, <laughs> is for God's glory, right? Sorry about that. that was, I could feel that coming on. I was like, I am going to say it. Don't say it. Um, but recognize every person who's ever existed on this entire planet has been given this opportunity. Every person created has been given that amazing opportunity. But sadly, the majority of people have passed. And that's certainly true of those that don't know Christ. Right? They can't. They don't have a relationship with him. But see, the sad reality is that, uh, unfortunately, most Christians, most Christians miss out on that as well because they will not let go of the world. It's got a stranglehold on them, and they're holding on to it. In Mark 8, verses 35 to 38, Jesus references this exact thing. He says this, For whosoever, shall, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You just won't let go of the world. But whosoever shall lose his life, let go of this world for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Verse 36, 37. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 38. This is the part that can be heartbreaking. Whosoever... Therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words. Notice this. Their life doesn't display Christ. They don't talk about God. They don't live his word. He says, in this adulterous and sinful generation, which we live in right now, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. A lot of people, that's going to be their story. But it doesn't have to be. Right? What humanity believes to be important in this world, and this is the crazy thing, what humanity believes to be important in this world has no value in heaven. We spend our lives chasing after careers, wealth, fame, respect, possessions, all that stuff. And you know what the Bible tells us? It will all burn up with a fervent heat. It will not last. Job 121, Job says this, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look, I didn't bring anything into this world, and guess what? When I leave, I'll leave nothing. Right? Nothing. The pharaohs, what did they do? They buried all their junk with them. And guess what later on? Grave diggers dug up their junk and took it away. They didn't take anything with them. <laughs> it just got gone. And so what happens is, and the thing is, all the things that, uh, that really, that, that, that have value, the things that we don't value on earth, which is the craziest thing. The things that, don't, that we don't chase after here. Things like holiness. Things like godliness. Things like self-sacrifice. 
the souls of men and women and boys and girls. The things that we are not concerned with. They are the only things in heaven that have value. So what we have to do is ask ourselves, which reality are we living for? The one that's just a couple of short years that'll end for all of us? Or the one that's eternal? It doesn't make sense. The math doesn't add up. And yet our flesh seeks those things of the world. Through this ancient story of long dead people, God's reminding us. He's reminding us of how essential He is to the success we will have in this life. He's displayed for us the importance today of being committed to honoring God, of being committed to following the words of God. To see, the thing is, will we learn the lessons? These people existed thousands of years ago, but the lesson is still the same. We dedicate ourselves and our lives to our Heavenly Father. I would like to say that we will, right? Be hopeful that we'll all do that. But the Bible says differently. Sadly, the truth is most people are a lot more dedicated to themselves than they are to God, right? The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 2, This know also, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Guess what? That's where we live right now. And what does it say about humanity? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then he goes on to list a laundry list of all the way that looks and appears in sin. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Dedicated to self instead of dedicated to God. And listen, if that's you today, I beg you, spiritually, to come before Almighty God and humble yourself before His throne. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Look, if you're struggling to live a life dedicated to God right now, you're in the heat of it. I'm going to ask you to join me in whispering this little prayer of dedication to God in your heart, in your mind. With a heart of surrender, imagine yourself in that throne room and God's loving eyes, powerful eyes, judging eyes looking down on you and you don't have the guts to even look up. Your face is plastered to the floor. And the room trembles with his power. And you know you're going to face him one day. Beg him. Pray this prayer with me. Lord, I give you my mind. I give you my will. I give you my emotions. I give you my resources my strength, my imaginations, my hopes, my talents, my desires. Lord, I give you my dreams. 
Lord, I give you me. A living sacrifice. Consecrated unto you. Lord, would you please use my life to glorify yourself and display your love to this broken world through me. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Listen, if God's dealing with your heart today, if he's working on you, praise God. Praise God. But listen, if you're here today, you're watching this perhaps, recorded even. And you say, I don't know where I stand with God. I, I hear what you're saying. But I've never surrendered my life to him. I was raised in a, Christ, I was raised in a non-Christian home all my life. 34 years old, someone asked me a question. They said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And it made me second-guess myself and look at my eternity. And I can tell you right now, yes, there's an altar. But for you, if you're lost today, if you don't have Christ, there's an altar which is at the cross. A relationship with a God that loves you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows every dark corner of your heart. And can I tell you that he loves you in spite of yourself. And he is calling to you right now. All he's asking for you to do is surrender. As he draws you to salvation, you just have to give in. If you feel his draw, all you have to do is respond. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from the God of the universe. As he calls out to you right now, all you have to do is respond. And if you want to, that's what you want to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. There's no magic in the prayer. There's no ceremony to the prayer. This is a broken heart calling out to a loving God who's ready to restore you back to Him. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I understand that it separated me from you. That without you, I'm in desperate need. And I feel you calling me. I trust you. I put my faith in you. I believe that you died for my sins. And that you rose on the third day and proved that you were exactly who you said you were. In this very moment, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save my soul. And I ask you to give me a home in heaven. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.